On today's show, Eric Name of The Athletic joins us, and Frank's here as well. The whole band is back together. It is a very rare occasion that we get to do this, but we don't get Eric a lot, so we need to ask him some key questions. Uh, latest injury report, he was at practice today. Uh, what is his biggest storyline entering the postseason? And basically, for our own enjoyment here, what are some of his favorite stories that he's written this season? Because uh, he did an absolute beauty overnight. Let's get into it. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win on this show Monday to Friday and also find my other stuff over at ESPN. Alongside me, the founder of brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, and another longtime voice of the podcast and former host of the podcast now just tearing it up at The Athletic. Our great friend, Eric Name, for today's episode that's brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. Uh, and as always, we thank you for making Locked On Bucks your first watch or first listen of every single day. Uh, the show continues to grow. We're pretty excited because doing this podcast daily, we've been fortunate we've been able to you know, really rip off some good podcasts this week. But a whole week off before Game 1 is not exactly ideal. So we're excited for Game 1 on Sunday. We'll get into that a little bit uh, today. But we appreciate all the support. Drop a like, comment, subscribe, all those things. It's free to do, and it really helps us. Uh, Frank... I can see you're getting emotional here. We've got Eric back. We don't, I think this might be only the second or third time we've podcasted all together over the course of the last four years. So it doesn't happen very often, but this is, it's always great fun when we get to do this. Yeah, I was thinking about it beforehand. It was like, oh, the three amigos ride again. And then I was like, how many times have we actually? Not often. (laughs) Not often, right? Um, I know, Eric, we did the pod uh, whenever that was last year with our friend JJ Birch. Uh, and Kane wasn't wasn't in for that um but uh but yeah I mean it's it's funny and we've only ever been in the same place at the same time once and that was in the fall of 2018 uh when we did the still the first and only Locked on Bucks live pod which hopefully maybe there will be a sequel at some point Kane you, you you tell me when you're in the in the city of Milwaukee and you know we'll figure something out but uh, but anyway, it is uh, it is good to see you both uh, on my screen here. We, I mean, we do chat like every day on DMs yeah. about the NBA and other random things. So, uh, so yeah, it's fun. And I, Kane, I was like, you you messaged me earlier this week. I, I've had these these ten o'clock calls uh, for work with my my team on the other side of the world, not Australia. Uh, mm. And tonight, my my call got canceled. Um, so I'm happy to be spending it with you guys instead of talking about not fun work stuff. So anyway, uh, Eric, it's a pleasure to have you back. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I just want to jump in and say that I'm not 100% sure that I believe Frank's story that all of a sudden his slate was clear. I think he wanted a week off from podcasting, and, and that's totally fine. He has to hang out with me far too often, so I don't I gotta rest my knees. That. I got to rest my knees up for the playoffs, me and Giannis. We got <laughs> to get, get fresh. 
Hey, I believe it. I believe that. And we've got a lot of podcasting to do over the next few weeks. But Eric, it is good to hang out with you. And we won't. We'll if we get to stories, we'll probably do it at the end. But let's get down to business here. We don't know who the Bucks are playing in the postseason yet. The Bulls and the Heat tomorrow, six PM Central Time, uh, Friday night. That is depending on when you're listening to this podcast. So we'll know who the Bucks are going to play. One will mean a lot of travel for you in the first round. The other. Not so much, but you're at practice today. Everyone wants to know the latest. What'd you pick up from the practice center this afternoon? Yeah, I mean, the big thing is that as far as like the injury report goes, pretty it's clean. Like there there was a couple guys, you know, you had Pat Connaughton and Grayson Allen, both with ankle sprains that were limited uh, earlier in the week when they practiced on Tuesday. Uh, you had Chris Middleton that was limited as well. Um, all three of those dudes went. They did 100%, everything all parts of practice. They were full participants. And when we talked to Grayson and Allen and when we talked to Brooke Lopez, you know, they said like, this is the hardest we've, we've kind of gone at each other uh, since the all-star break. Like we don't, uh, as anyone that kind of follows the Bucks knows, like Bud doesn't have these guys scrimmaging every day. There's not going to be like really difficult, hard practices. It's a lot of, you know, shoot arounds and, you know, just trying to get everyone on the same page before they play whatever team it is. So um, it's a pretty unusual thing to hear anyone with the team be like, Oh wow. It's a really hard practice. <laughs> um, like th- that's just not, that's just not something that happens underneath bud. Um, so that was, that was kind of like a, a surprise. And then I think if you're talking about the injury report, like that's like a really good thing, right? Like not only did, you know, Chris and Grayson and, and Pat all practice, it was like a lot of scrimmaging and, and a lot of hard work and, and pretty intense stuff, which I think should make everyone feel pretty good for Sunday when the Bucks eventually get there. Obviously, the rust is going to be there. Um, they're not going to be in rhythm. I would guess you're going to see lots of first half turnovers because they haven't. I mean, the starters are they're going to miss like 10 days of action, like maybe some of them closer to a week. Like it's going to be ugly in that first half, but they're healthy. And that is. You know, something that you haven't been able to say about this team and this roster in, in a really long time. Frank, we sometimes we, well, I do anyway, so I won't speak for you. But when you do have the week off, as Eric just pointed to, it can be a little bit scratchy to start. We've seen the Bucks in the past struggle a little bit in game one. But it does feel like this year they desperately needed it when you think about Middleton and a couple of the other injuries. So... I don't think if you're the number one seed and you got the best record in the league, you should be too concerned about it anyway. Um, but I think rust aside, the, I mean, the Bucks they did. They, they needed this time off, perhaps as much as uh, some of the other teams in the, co- in the conference. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot in the last few weeks about, you know, rest disadvantages in the Bucks schedule, not doing them any favors. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, locking up the number one seed, you know, the Wednesday before the season ends, uh, I think ultimately was, you know, a huge sort of long-term advantage in terms of the, the health benefits that, you know, Eric just called out with getting, um, you know, a few of the guys that had sort of, you know, like the ankle sprain stuff, right. With, with Grayson and Pat, you weren't really worried about that being like a, Oh, how is that impact going to impact the Bucks playoff chances? Right. But uh, the big one, obviously being, being Chris and, you know, I thought obviously it was encouraging the day after uh, again, you don't, you never want to put like too, too much on it. Right. I mean, Chris Haynes, I think, had probably the most encouraging report. Shams had the report um, that, you know, hey, he's going to be working to, to get ready for, for game one of the playoffs. So, I mean, you know, uh, but, but we've also seen Chris, you know, miss whatever it was, like a month with, you know, a sore knee and other assorted 
kind of random injuries that weren't really like, you know, sort of event-based injuries, um, if that makes sense. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, just knowing that you're going to have your dudes in game one of the playoffs is, uh, is a huge advantage. And honestly, I mean, it's sort of one of those things, I mean, if, if it was going to take Chris like an extra couple of games to get, get ready, I think in the first round, again, you don't want to be overconfident, but they've done this all season, right? They have a pretty deep roster and I think especially in the first round, it's not like you're worried about some like killer mismatches um, that one of, you know, Chicago or, or Miami is going to present. So um, yeah, I mean, those teams are going to have to play Friday night. Um, if it's a quintuple overtime game on Friday night, uh, so be it. <laughs> um, and they're going to have obviously the, the opposite challenge of, of the Bucks, which is, you know, probably having to shake off some of that first game rust. So um, Hey, that's, that's exactly the kind of problem that I think we were hoping the Bucks would have uh, after the past few weeks, after the, after this whole season, right. Just the, the kind of the guys going in and out. So, um, yeah, I mean, just, a, a big boost. Uh, we love the plan. If when you're, when you're a top seed, you love the plan just because it gives you this extra time off. And so definitely a positive and, um, yeah, now we just have to hope that those kind of bucks first game rust, uh, isn't, uh, isn't too bad. I guess one of the things that I've been curious about all season, cause we know how conservative the bucks are with their players that are carrying stuff. If you were in early January and Chris Middleton had this stuff and it was the postseason, would he would he just be playing anyway? I mean, you know, probably he probably would, but based on on the stuff you hear, Eric obviously might know or would know more about that. But it's been just this strange timeline for Chris Middleton all season. All right, I want to sink our teeth into this. I'm going to ask both of you what you think is the key storyline for the Bucks or most intriguing storyline. Take it how you will. Uh, after we come back and talk about. Nissan, Frank, and Nissan's most electric player of the week, brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, and it's Mike Budenholzer. And, it may, you know, this week, we talk about what the Bucks have been doing at practice, and we know what Mike Budenholzer's been doing at practice. He's been practicing using his use-it-or-lose-it timeouts because Eric wrote one of the great stories at The Athletic overnight. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. So if you think about uh, Mike Budenholzer, you think about electric timeout calls. He's brilliantly fierce, fiercely elegant, stunningly powerful, and elegantly powerful as well. And just like the Nissan Aria, he delivers on duality. He is the combination of fierceness and elegance. Beautiful, but strong. The 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin to your seat power and premium intelligence all-in-one EV. The all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. The EV for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. All right, a triple threat podcast has become a fatal four-way as Dudley the Golden joins Locked On Bucks, and this is why you got to be on YouTube because Frank is a good-looking man, but unfortunately, he's got nothing on Dudley. So we've got an upgrade on the podcast. There's no doubt about that. He's a very he's a very handsome dog. He's a very handsome dog. Okay, I asked him. To, I, I I was baiting him into jumping on my lap here for the for the benefit of our YouTube viewers, but I'm gonna Dudley. Can I get back down? All right, they, Dudley. They, good, love good work, good work. they love it. They love it when Dudley makes it rare. But often memorable appearance. <laughs> All right, Eric, we read your stuff on a daily basis. And by the way, if you're not reading Eric's stuff, you should subscribe to The Athletic right now as soon as you're listening to this. Pause the podcast and go and subscribe. They've always got pretty sweet deals going on. Eric was talking about a two buck a month or something like that. So go check it out anyway and support Eric because uh, he's bringing you some crazy stories. We're going to get to that a bit later. But let me ask you this. What is your most, either, either the biggest storyline or the most intriguing storyline for you entering the postseason? I mean, to me, I think it's Chris Middleton. Um, 
I think, you know, there's the hope that everything will be fine. I think there's the hope that, you know, he'll ramp up totally okay. And, you know, there's no issues or anything like that. But I think to me, one thing that I've struggled with is, you know, I have seen him play 35 minutes in a game. I have seen him have good nights. I have seen him, you know, hit pull-up transit, like transition threes. I've seen him work in the pick and roll. I've seen him, you know, do all of the things that, kind of make him Chris Middleton. But to me, I, I think there's a really big gulf between 35 regular season minutes and 45 playoff minutes. Like that, that's, that's massive. Like, and it, I know there's always like the, the portion of Bucks fans that don't think Chris is any good or don't think that he can do anything and, you know, want to like kind of brush him aside, but like, in their championship run, that was one of the three guys that was going to play at least 40 minutes a night. And he was going to probably play 45 minutes a night when it, it really truly mattered when those games, like you needed all of those things to happen. And, and I think Drew Holiday's gotten better as the number two this year. I think he understands how to handle a little bit more of that usage rate. I think Brooke Lopez is a, a more diverse offensive threat at this point, but if Chris Middleton isn't Chris Middleton, I think it gets quite a bit harder for the Milwaukee Bucks to win a championship. That that's I just don't think there's any way around that. And that's the thing that I struggle with most is that I do think, you know, no matter what, he'll probably be fine with 30 minutes in the playoffs. But if you really want to be at your best, like I think that needs to be closer to 40 minutes. And if I'm being truly honest, I think it needs to be closer to 45 minutes in, you know, when you go on the road in Brooklyn, for game seven and this year, you know, when you go to Philly or you go to Boston and, and you need a win and you need to play that dude, I don't know. I haven't seen him put together an effort like that yet. And to me, that will remain the biggest question until he does it. And maybe that's unfair and, and maybe that's asking too much or putting too much pressure on Chris or, or whatever. But like, to me, that will remain the question about the Milwaukee Bucks because I think last year against the Celtics, they proved that even without Chris, Giannis can be dominant enough, the defense can be good enough, that they can stay in in games with the Celtics, even without their full complement of characters. But the only way that they're winning that is if they do have everyone and if they do have Chris Middleton. So to me, it's hard to look anywhere else other than Chris Middleton heading into the postseason. All right, let's not jump ahead of the rest of the postseason, but let's just assume there's Bucks and Celtics, Frank, in the conference finals. With everything that Eric has just said and the emergence of Brook Lopez again as a, a threat within the perimeter, Jay Crowder, my man, Joe Ingles, are the Bucks, because again, they went to game seven. Now they got blown off the court, but they went to game seven and they were in a position to win at home in game six. Are they better equipped? to win that series or would you be more confident that the fact that they can win that series with, I don't want to say without Chris Milton at all, but a diminished Chris Milton. I, I kind of go back and forth on last year. I mean, I think there's two very different ways to look at the series last year, right? Between, between the two teams and the one hand, you can say, you know, Giannis was just an absolute monster cemented his status as the best player in the world. And you were, you know, basically like a good fourth quarter uh, in game six away from, from winning that series, right? Like that is the the glass half full sort of view of that. And so, you know, adding Chris Middleton to, to that team, like, oh, of course, then, you know, oh, you win in five games or something, right? I mean, you can, 
you can obviously kind of follow that logic and, and pull the thread. And, you know, given the, the offense was, was so abysmal, it's like, well, not only have Chris Middleton, but you just added Joe Ingles as well this season and kind of his playmaking juice also could, could be, you know, a, a differentiator as well. But the flip side is, you know, you look at other than game one, game one, I think interestingly, right. We're used to the bucks kind of falling flat in game one, in that game, um, they really took it to Boston and Boston just didn't kind of, they looked like they had sort of that first game mm-hmm. um, for us. Uh, but other than that, I mean, game three was a very narrow win and the game they won the game five in Boston. I mean, they kind of stole that game too. Right. I mean, a lot of things kind of had to go right. A couple incredible defensive plays from Drew holiday. They, I don't know how many threes they hit in the fourth quarter, but they were like garbage for most of the series, but then they randomly hit all their threes in that fourth quarter, which again, I'm hesitant to be like, Oh, well, they're not going to always hit their threes. Like, well, yeah, they spent seven games basically not making threes, but, um, but you know, they had three games that they won, you know, other than the first one, the other two games they won were pretty narrow games that you could argue the Celtics should have won. And the Celtics, when they were winning, they were generally much more impressive in, in how they won those games. And so I think you can, you can definitely look at it, kind of glass half full or glass half empty. Um, I think this version of the Bucks is, is definitely better suited to, to match up with Boston just because you had to have a bit more offensive firepower. It starts with bringing back Chris. It starts again, well, not start with both things, but you know, if you follow that up with, with adding Ingles just as an option, right? I mean, it's possible that Joe has defensive problems. We'll see. Um, I don't, I, I think the one advantage is Joe's a bigger guy, which, you know, I think we saw they can really punish smalls just given how kind of, large everyone on that team is we'll see if joe's kind of foot speed maybe becomes an issue but i'm hopeful brooke lopez as well can maybe be impact that series more than he did last year coming back off the injury and and again just like you know can grayson allen bobby portis be like worse than they were in last year's series like it's gonna be hard for them to be worse um and probably the other big one too i mean you know eric bringing up chris i think chris is deaf i totally agree like chris is the story because of the subplot of being able to opt out this summer we don't really know kind of where he's going to be, you know, was coming back from the injury seemingly all season. So I totally agree. Chris is the number one storyline kind of like variable that, you know, could swing the bucks one really great way or potentially like he gets hurt again or just isn't kind of what he was. And, and that could be a really limiting factor. I mean, the other thing too, that I just look at, I mean, Drew holiday, it, it's Jekyll and Hyde with him offensively. So this regular season, Drew holiday, Three straight years, he's been pretty great offensively. I mean, last year, too. I mean, his efficiency was even better last year than it was this year. Obviously, this year, I think his role was more pronounced because of Chris being out so much. Um, so, if you get – I mean, if you get regular season Drew Holiday in the playoffs, just put 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 the Larry O'Brien trophy on the plane in Milwaukee, right? I mean, like, unfortunately, I mean, his true shooting percentage as a buck in the playoffs is worse than Eric Bledsoe's, right? Which we don't like to talk about because – Drew Holiday is a champion and the Bucks won an NBA title and Drew obviously made some huge plays throughout those playoffs, but he was so inconsistent as a scorer. And I have, until I see it from him, especially in like, you know, a really high leverage playoff series, like the night to night stuff. I mean, Eric mentioned for good reason why you're worried about Chris Middleton being able to deliver at night tonight. You better hope that Drew and Chris aren't having those struggles on the same night very often because Again, I think two years ago, it felt like they never all, all three guys, Giannis, Chris, Drew, never all played really well. It seemed like until maybe like uh, seemingly like game, uh, game five against Phoenix when everything came together. 
Um, but to me, that's like kind of one of these questions that can we just get like league average true shooting Drew Holiday? Like, can we get like just, you know, below average efficiency Drew Holiday? Just not like horrendously below average Drew Holiday where you just don't know what you're going to get. And obviously he's had huge games. Like I think of the closeout game against Atlanta, some of the huge plays he made in that game offensively. I mean, he's obviously had some great offensive games, but just the night to night consistency. And again, I know it's probably a largely due to the defensive effort he has to put out, but, um, but yeah, I'm just fascinated how kind of all those things play out. And I think the Celtics are, you know, at this point, the ultimate test for this version of the bucks that we've seen constructed. And I think, there's still, I think the thing I worry about the most is that I still don't think they are as two-way versatile position by position as Boston is, just in terms of like switchability and two-way play that the Celtics have really kind of up and down their kind of core rotation guys. Um, but ultimately you have still the best player in that series. And, you know, again, we're not going to talk about, it, I think a lot on this pod, but I mean, I mentioned it on Twitter a while ago, but Giannis has been under 50%, eight out of the last 10 games against the Celtics. He's put up some huge numbers, but really has not been that efficient. Again, the efficiency problem against Boston. And so, I mean, that's part of why the reason I want to see the series is just because I'd love to see Giannis answer the bell. And again, not just put up huge numbers, but do so in maybe like a less inefficient way than he did last year, which again, hard to put much blame on him given the, the help he had, but uh, he can he can definitely be better than he was in that Boston series last year, which is kind of scary, but also I think maybe something that people don't like to talk about. If we go back to the start of that point you made there, Frank, about if I remember back to last year's series in game one, because it's easy to look back at it now and go, well, it went game seven. But I remember being genuinely stunned that the Bucs won game one. So sometimes, you know, you go back and think about how you felt at the start of the series. Without even much drama, right? It wasn't even like that. It was just like, oh, they just they're just going to win by double digits. Okay. Yeah, it, 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 and some and until you said that, I kind of that was kind of erased from my memory. So it was, uh, it was a good point you brought up there. I, I do want I've got one more question for Eric. Then uh, cut loose, Frank. I want to ask Eric because we talk about the personnel, but w- what has been the biggest change, whether it's offense, defense, uh, about this team this year, and perhaps the most impactful change that he's seen? But first, we have to remind Eric about our friends at Built Bar because I know that he misses <laughs> listening about Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious snack, but don't want all of the sugar and calories, then you need the best tasting protein bar ever built. You got to try Built. And if you're like me and you want to make healthier snack choices, I've been trying to do it for years and Built is the only thing that's been able to get me to do this. Uh, You can try it with uh, Built Bar Puffs. They're healthy and taste amazing. Uh, They taste so amazing. You won't think they're good for you. But uh, I still can't believe it after all these years. And you might ask, what makes Built Bars so good? Well, for starters, they are covered in 100% real chocolate and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, cookies and cream. It's, uh, I'm in a state of confusion, even discussing it. But 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 17 grams of protein. Head to your nearest Walmart today. You don't even have to go to Built.com, but you can. If you live in Australia, certainly go to Built.com because you can't walk into Walmart or Sam's Club. But if you're in the US, go to Walmart or Sam's Club. Pick yourself up a 13-bar box, chuck it straight in the car, eat it by the time you get home, do a U-turn, go back to Sam's Club and grab another box and you can thank me for that later. All right, Eric, I teed this up. Before we got to a f- fantastic ad read, uh, what has been the biggest change <laughs> with this team, either offense or defense, that has been with the design? Because the Bucks are always looking at the big picture. So, with the design of 
what's to come in the postseason? I mean, I, I think it's their three-point defense. Like, if you look through kind of everything that they've done, the fact that they've been able to be as good as they have been this year defensively, and, you know, I think on cleaning the glass, it's, what, fourth uh, here at the end of the season as far as defensive efficiency goes. Um, the fact that they're there and they've been able to take away the rim in the way that they have and they've been able to take away the three-point line in the way that they have – um, I just don't know that, you know, over the years, as we talked about their defense and, you know, I wrote plenty of stories about, hey, you guys should realize that, yes, they do give up a bunch of threes, but no one's better at taking away the rim. And now we're to a spot where it's like, yeah, no one's better at taking away the rim, but also they're among the very best at taking away the three point line. And, and I just never, I, I wasn't sure that you could do both of those things at the same time. Like I, I thought you were going to have to give up something. Um, and it appears like at least at this point that you don't have to give up anything. You, you can do both of those things and, and they did it successfully throughout the regular season. And to me that that's the biggest thing going into this, like, you know, you get into that series against the Celtics and I know there was a lot said by Bucks fans about, you know, like how silly of, of a strategy it was to give up threes to Grant Williams and, oh, why don't you just cover the three-point line? And it was like, they don't have any wings, man. Like they, they don't they don't have the size that they need to actually cover those guys. So they do kind of need a gimmick defense. They, they got to try this thing that, you know, hopefully you can dare them into doing this thing. And to be fair, it almost – kind of worked grant williams was passing up threes until Ime Udoka drew, drew up a play for him and told him like you're gonna shoot this thing and then he made a couple threes but you know overall I, to me the fact that they can do what they can at the rim they can do what they can defensively at the three-point line i just think it's huge because over the years you know frank talked about uh drew holiday's offensive struggles he's talked about Giannis's offensive struggles um Obviously, anyone that's ever critiqued Chris Middleton will talk about his offensive struggles in the postseason. Like, I think when you think about all those things, this Bucks team wants to win defensively. If they can win games, they're going to do so defensively. And the fact that they've been able to defend the rim and they've been able to defend the three-point line as well as they have been, to me, feels like the, the biggest thing that's different this year about this team and why – I'm not going to say things are necessarily different in the postseason. They've been a very good defensive team over the years in the postseason, but – uh, to me, that feels like the biggest change. Yeah, I had the numbers. I don't know what they ended up at at the end of the regular season, but just in terms of absolute raw attempts per game, they were giving up 40, uh, over 40 last year, which was number one in the league. And I think they cut it down to around 34, which is a pretty significant drop when you consider the way the league is trending uh, with the scoring and the outside shooting. It's um, It was pretty crazy. And look, they said, well, actually, Charles Lee accidentally said it at the start of the season. And once he yeah. let the cat out of the bag, then everyone was on it. Eric was like, look, Charles already said. He's going to tell me the story now. And then it went from there. Uh, Frank, give Eric your best. What do you got? Well, well, I, was gonna, I mean, just to kind of drill that home, I mean, came the, the you know, the kind of easier way to, you know, look at it, if you've got the data, right, is to look at it like, shots from different areas as a percentage of the total number of shots. And actually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the numbers are very similar in the percentage terms as the raw ones that you just pointed out. So last year, almost 42% of opponent shots were three pointers for the bucks this year, 33.7%, basically 8% down, right? That's almost, you know, a 20% reduction in the share of where 
shots came from were reduced from the three-point line. And the most important part, though, is where did you, you know, it's the toothpaste problem, right? Like you squeeze the toothpaste out of one end, where did, where did it end up, right? If you just squeeze it into the rim area, right? Like, you know, the worst version of, you know, the Jason Kidd era bucks or something. Uh, that's, not a, that's not a winning trade-off there. Uh, but last year, 28.6% per, per, of shots allowed were at the rim. That was fifth. Pretty impressive, you know, even with so much of the season. This year, 28.7%, basically the exact same number of shots allowed at the rim this year versus last year. The accuracy was down about 1%, which maybe seems like you would have expected to be even better given the fact that you've got like a full season of Brooke Lopez um, defending the rim. But um, yeah, I mean, basically they they pushed 8% of shots from the three-point line to the mid-range. And they, I believe, yeah, had the highest percentage of shots allowed in the mid-range. I mean you talk about solving the math problem, like that's everything you would hope to be able to do in terms of the math problem. And, you know, I, when you think sometimes when you look at the um, opponent shooting percentage, I think at various points, you know, the Bucks have looked pretty lucky in terms of opponent three point percentage. And if you look at the raw total, you know, the, the kind of total three point percentage allowed 35.7%, put that in perspective two years ago, it was at over 39%, right. Which, I mean, that swings your defensive numbers pretty tangibly. Uh, but when you look at, like, why that is, okay, they were eighth, right? That's the eighth best opponent three-point percentage. We often talk about how, you know, you want to limit the attempts because there's so much noise and luck involved in the percentage that opponents shoot. But if you look at why, this is where looking at the share of shots that come from the corner versus above the break is important. Because, yes, they were top ten. They were, oh, they were lucky because they had the eighth best three-point defense in terms of percentage. Well, if you look at the percentages, though, the above the break percentage was 11th. So they were only slightly lucky, call it, in terms of above the break percentage. But then they were basically dead average um, in terms of corner three, 16, 16th in that in that regard. But again, like the it's, it's all about the distribution here, right? They, they allow very few corner threes, um, which they've always been pretty good at, actually, like even, even during when they were you know, allowing a lot of threes, it was generally very slanted towards above the break. But again, when you take like roughly average opponent three-point percentages from the corner and, and above the break, but then you disproportionately push those shots above the break, those are harder threes to make. So your overall percentage is going to look luckier, but actually it's actually, again, put goes back to this math game. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's been, it's been such a perfect story. It's really lived out the story that we kind of think as Bucks fans hope that you would see at the beginning of the year when all this came out. Eric was obviously kind of like kind of the person that sort of wrote on this extensively first. So very, very cool to see it kind of happen in reality. I do want to ask, um, turning to the, to the, the story that you just wrote. And again, it was sort of like when I first saw the headline about, you know, the use it or lose it thing, which again, for like, you know, Bucks, sicko twitter right like it's like the running joke of loving to use the use it or lose it so it's one of those like kind of innocuous topics which you know we were talking to us a little bit about sort of how this came to be um i thought i think the amazing thing is like you think it's going to be just about like bud like talking like oh why he always likes to use his timeouts um but you know you really got into like well why does he even have the opportunity to do this because theoretically opponents could do use that that timeout as well um, and then I think what the really cool part is then it takes sort of a right turn into after timeout stuff and the buck, the way the bucks approach, what they run on after on, on ATOs, the types of plays they have available each game. Um, 
And I think the most interesting thing, especially as somebody who obviously is, you know, closely followed the media coverage of the team is, you know, a few years ago, you, there were never any assistant coaches quoted in anything about the Bucks, which is pretty common. Like most teams just don't allow their assistants to be interviewed on the record. Um, this was very interesting because you had multiple assistants and it wasn't just like Charles Lee, right? The, the associate head coach, like the lead assistant. I mean, you talk to um, Patrick St. Andrews, St. AKA St. Um, and you talk to, to Sidney Dobner, who's the, the video coordinator as well, which was really interesting. Cause I feel like a couple of years ago, like we would never in the public hear what those people have to say about anything. Um, so I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about the process of reporting on the story and obviously like, it's not to say like media can't talk to assistants, like assistants talk to media, but you generally can't report on any of it. Um, tell us a little bit about like the process for this story and just generally like, how things have changed. Cause I, I mean, you've had Charles Lee obviously kind of offer his thoughts on, on games in the preseason and kind of other times as well. What's that process of reporting been like? And, and again, we're getting kind of a little inside baseball, but um, I think it's, it's, it's great, right? Like in, in a week where we hear about, you know, WNBA not letting people into, into locker rooms and stuff like, you know, stories like this, I think kind of highlight the benefit to fans of, of just generally access overall. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's a spot where uh, I think overwhelmingly, if you spend enough time around Mike Budenholzer, you know that um, I think Bud is, you know, like a very good NBA coach. I think he's lived a very interesting NBA life, but I think every time you get to a spot where he potentially has something interesting to say, like whatever it is, he will start the anecdote and then be like, mm, no, and decide not to tell it. And it, it truly doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how innocuous it is. It, it could be, you know, I was walking down the street and I saw, no, okay. I'm No, I guess I'm not going to like shit. And again, there are plenty of coaches around the league. You know, Doc Rivers has an anecdote for every answer he like every answer he gives that there's some sort of anecdote about whatever or however it goes in bud over the years has just kind of overwhelmingly decided that like that's not something he shares publicly like but but everyone is in a good place eric and, and keep that in mind i mean which is which is what we love to hear yeah no yeah no everyone's, everyone's yeah. getting better every day everyone's in a good place and, what happens you know we all we all are happy to hear that um but like to me, all of like the the stuff that really makes any story sing, that really makes like anything you do interesting, Bud knows that, that it exists and he understands that like, oh, I could give him that anecdote, but I'm not going to. I, I don't <laughs> want this to be about me. I don't want this to be about the coaching. This is about our players. They're great and they, they put in the work. Um, so that's always kind of made like the coaching stories interesting to me over the years. Like I, I really enjoyed, you know, a, a few years back, uh, I think it was during the championship run. Actually, I think it was like around the same time, like before the first round, I wrote a story about how Brooke Lopez had this relationship with Mike Boonholzer where they like, they just kind of mess with each other, right? Like they're, they're friendly and they like each other. Cause obviously like Bud helped resuscitate. Brooks career like he made him into this brand new version but like Bud 
and Brooke like to mess with each other. Like Brooke wants to like pick on Bud and make jokes and do all that. And like, yeah. that was like a fun story to me. You know, Brooke's out here just like describing their defense as a Frasier episode. Like just being weird in Brooke, but like you kind of get this interesting insight into like who Bud is. And, and to me, that's like the, the greatest challenge, right? Like, obviously like I like talking to players and I like breaking things down and doing stuff like that. But like, I think over the years, it's been really hard to get Bud to say anything interesting or, or be a part of like fun stories. Um, so this to me was, was really fun where, you know, like this is a, this is a niche idea. Um, I want to write about the timeouts that Bud takes during the 45th minute of games. Um, shout out to my editors that were just like, yeah, go for it. If you think there's something there, go for it. And kind of how it turned out was just like, I think in some ways it was such a dumb idea that like no one was really, no, no one on the coaching staff really thought anything interesting was going to come of it. Like it was like, who cares? Yeah, sure. Ask me about the use it or lose a timeout. And, you know, as you're talking with Bud about it, I, to me, I just ended up being fascinated by like how many layers you could peel back. Like it was like, yeah, I like this timeout because, you know, we want to make sure Giannis gets a rest. And if we need to get him through the whole fourth quarter, we're really going to take that timeout. And also I don't like taking timeouts in the final minute of the game. And to make sure that we don't take the timeout in the final minute of the game, that means at three 30, we need to get everyone on the same page and make sure that like, we're ready to go. And like, eventually with a lot of prying, I get this anecdote out about this Avery Johnson shot in 1998. Like to me, like there was just a lot of fun stuff in it. And then once I had some of that stuff from bud, like hearing about Charles Lee screwing up the use it or lose it. One of the, one of the first times that he was in charge 15 games into, uh, into that season. Like it was, it was just like fun. And to me, like you just kept getting more and more stuff. And, I think ultimately it was so nerdy in such a, I think relatively like harmless thing that everyone kind of wanted to participate and have a good time with it. Um, And that I guess maybe isn't the case if I'm digging into, you know, what's wrong with the Milwaukee bucks. Uh, And I want to interview all the assistant coaches about it, but um, I guess just over the years, I, I, I think there there is some part of it that um, even if Bud does not want to ever talk to me um, and does not ever want to answer any of my questions, he hasn't been able to get rid of me in five years. And I keep asking stuff and he's like, well, shit, I guess this guy's going to be here. So fine, I'll answer this question. And, and eventually like we kind of stumbled into some fun stuff. So honestly, I, I would have never thought like when I started asking about the user lose it, I never thought it would be uh, whatever it was, 2,500 words or whatever it was. And actually like an interesting look, I thought it was going to be a thousand word story that was like, Hey, isn't this weird? Bud takes timeouts more than other people during this time. And and that's where, where initially I, I thought I was going to go. And ultimately I, I couldn't be more happy that it, it ended up being something, uh, you know, kind of much larger than that. And I will say you've kind of, you know, tiptoed around the idea, but until you read the story, you won't understand the graphs 
and the numbers and the advanced timeout statistics and all this stuff. So the point being, if you've listened to this and you thought that it was interesting, you should go subscribe and read the story because um, there is so much more than what was just discussed just now. Uh, and to Eric's point, you know this, Eric, You you whether you're tweeting or you're writing stuff, it's you know fans in general, which is their right, with sports get emotional, passionate, and sometimes that means negative. But this was literally a story that there was nothing to be negative about. It was just fun basketball stuff. And that's why I think as I look at your Twitter and see how many people are sharing it and really enjoyed it, it's fun for me um, to see that as well. So and, congratulations and to, to you. Thank you. And like to be clear, I, I like I had a couple commenters at the athletic be like, I don't think this is like a genius play, right? Like, I don't think this is like a genius tactical <laughs> decision. You know, you broke down how, you know, in a normal situation, you just let the ball roll out. You don't call a timeout. Offensive efficiency is going to be, you know, 110 points per 100 possessions. And when you call the timeout, you're bragging about how, you know, it's 102 points per 100 possessions. And like, one thing I want to be very clear about is like, I don't think it's a genius tactic. I don't think like this is obviously the thing every team should do. And I don't think Bud thinks that either. Like Bud was, as we talked about it, he was like very clear, like this is more about like rest and more about getting my team ready to go. And we're going to make the best out of it by being good at ATOs and being prepared on ATOs and, and like making sure we have a good play to call. But like, I like to play without a timeout at the end of games. I know that it can be more efficient. So it, it was just, it's like this interesting thing where like there are some Bucks fans that were like, Oh, why are you trying to make Bud look like a genius? And I was like, no, like he's a weirdo for calling this thing all the time. Like I'm just genuinely fascinated why he calls it all the time. So like, let's look into it. And, and I do think ultimately we found some pretty in like insightful things about why he does it. I, I definitely did not know about the, like, if you take the timeout in the middle of the floor, you can pick yeah. which side you want to take it yes. out on. I had, I had no idea that that was like, I never even thought about it. Right. Like where, where they would decide where you, or that like, you know, you could have situations where you could choose. Um, and well, so I think I, that like everyone knows about um, like the fakes, right? Like, you know, about Russell Westbrook and hurt when he was trying to call one of those and, or, or, you know, like that whole thing where Russ Westbrook, like there's the foul and all that stuff. And then I think, you know, about like, okay, I'm going to dribble over by my coach and then you fake and you go all the way to the basket. Like we think of all those things. And I agree when, when Saint told me that like we coach our guys to call the timeout in the middle of the floor so we can call it on either side. I just, I like looked at him like, are you serious? What? I, I had no idea that was a rule. So yeah, it, it, yeah. Like, just things I didn't know. I uh, I really want uh, the, there was a discussion about the ATO card, which is interesting, you know, and how they develop the ATOs sort of on a game by game basis, depending on personnel and opponents and things like that. Um, I I've never like noticed the ATO card, so I assume it's not very large. I'm just like at some point I want to see you know Patrick Saint Andrews. I'm sure listens to Lockdown Bucks all the time. Um, Saint, um, you know, if if you want to get really expansive, like I just picture like. You know, like my dad in the 90s when we would road trip long ways and we'd get out like the, the maps that fold out like, you know, yeah. to like a three by two, you know, foot type type thing. Right. So 
if, 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 if they really expand the, <laughs> the, the palette and really let Bud cook and give them, you know, like every possible play, then, then maybe we're going to see him, you know, instead of having the index card or wherever he's got like the little quarterback wrist thing. Um, let's, let's see the, the nineties dad road trip uh, map that, that he pulls out with all the plays on it. But, um, well, but anyway, I'm just offering free advice here, guys. This is just, you know, this sure. is the gold that, that I'm offering the Bucks staff. Well, so like, I think what you'll notice it is right. Like there's a lot of times where during a timeout, you'll see Bud grab something from like his back pocket and take like a quick look at it. And that's typically yeah. like the HO card that like he has like folded up. And one thing that I, I did, I didn't get to use for the story um, that I, that I thought was like genuinely interesting was, you know, we were talking through it and Bud said that like, there will be times where they go through the ATO card, someone gets in foul trouble, you know, someone isn't playing the way that they want or whatever, maybe like they just get to a spot where they need something different. And the video team has like an iPad on hand at all times. And like on that iPad is like more choices, right? Like, okay. Bud didn't like one through 20. He didn't like any of the things on the ATO card or they needed a lineup so specific that like they have it all organized on the iPad that like very quickly saying can be like, oh, well, actually, Giannis and Chris are in fall trouble. Joe, Pat and whoever is out here, like let's run a play for Pat real quick. And they'll go to a column that has like Pat plays. They'll pull it up on the iPad. He'll show it to Bud and Bud will be like, yep, that's what we're going to run. And he'll draw it up. And like it was just fascinating that like obviously you have to be so organized to like kind of do all of this. Um, but one thing that Bud said is that both he and Saint, when they have these conversations, they will draw up the play and they will look at each other. Like if Bud draws up a play for Saint, Saint will just be like, I don't get it. Like you drew this thing and I don't understand how that works. And Bud will pull up video and show it or Saint, when he's trying to convince Bud that, hey, this is a new play that we should run, we'll have to pull up video. And Bud was just like, I, in, in many ways, like I'm a visual learner, like I need to see a play actually happen and understand the timing because when you're drawing an arrow or you're drawing in a screen over here, like you don't actually get the timing of the play. And it, it to me, it was just like such an interesting insight that like, this stuff is is so granular and you have to attempt to understand it at such a high level that even when two dudes that live it like draw plays for each other they'll just like look at you and be like no that's not gonna work like well like why would why would you suggest that like there's no way and like they need to have the video backing of it and i, I don't know like i just thought like the teamwork and like the trust that you kind of have to have in like Saint and Bud and then, you know, Saint in Jack Harum or Sidney Dobner or whoever's helping out. Like to me, I just thought all that stuff was really cool. And the winner is Sydney. I, I gotta say it, this is why when I'm sitting on the couch, I I do not ever come on here and start ripping all these different coaches because for anyone sitting on the couch, there is a hell of a lot more that goes into it than than what you see on your TV screen. And that's the point that I always make and you can see stuff when you point it out, but when you get a story like this and get some insight or have someone like Eric on your podcast and get the kind of insight like this, uh, it does open your eyes into that. Hey, kind of Eric, story. real quick before we go, you don't have to tell us uh, all, all why, but 
in the last call it year or two, what's your favorite story that you've, you've gotten to write? I mean, I think probably a lot of us have like favorite stories we've had to read, but obviously the process is very different on some of these, like thinking about the Brooke Lopez shooting story um, that you did last fall or whatever it was. Um, I, I remember us talking a little bit about sort of the gestation period and how that came together. What, what's sort of been your favorite one to, to read or to, to write? I, I think overall, I'm, I'm always fascinated by process. Like that's just something that's very interesting to me, like how you, you get to be what you are. Um, and like, we're talking about the very best basketball players in the world. So to me, like that Brooks story was super interesting to learn that like, all right, he's using this program and trying to figure out like his arc in his depth on the rim and his left, right. And that you can be so finely tuned as an athlete at seven feet tall, 280 pounds, these big levers shooting. And you're just like, Oh yeah. If I take off this, this tiny bit, all of a sudden it's going to go in like stuff like that always just blows my mind because the, the level at which an NBA athlete can think in process to me just kind of blows my mind. Um, so, I mean, this year, the Brooks story is so much fun to me. Like, I, I really enjoyed that one. Um, honestly, it, it doesn't always happen like this, but honestly, it never happens like this. I don't get to play hunches often. Um, asking Giannis if he lied about Mamu talking shit to him, that is going to be one of my favorite things that I think I've ever done in my career because it just didn't seem likely. And when I talked to Mamu, he made it see- and Mamu could have been lying to me, right? Like he could have been like, okay, I'm going to tell this reporter that I didn't actually say the stuff that Giannis said, I said to him. And cause it'd be embarrassing if I did it. So like he could have lied to me, but the fact that like I heard it from him and got to like ask Giannis, like, did he actually like, did he actually talk shit to you? Cause I don't, I don't think he did. Like that will always be something that is just fun to me where you have good enough sources or you have good enough reporting that you can. And again, I don't often go out on the limb, um, but sometimes like, I don't know, I just played a hunch and it ended up kind of being correct and having, you know, this really fun story from Giannis where he's like, yeah, I just lie about that. Um, All right, cool, man. Great. I like that makes me feel really good about all the things I've written about you because now I have to think, Oh, was he lying that whole time? Like, cause you just admit that you lie pretty regularly um, to yourself. So do you lie to me? Like, all right, whatever. Um, but that, that to me was like, those two really stick out. Um, and, and honestly, the film-based stories that I get to do, uh, the Drew story I wrote last year was a lot of fun. The Brooks story I wrote the year before that was a lot of fun. Um, and if I may tease something, um, I watched some film with Drew Holiday in the last week. And I think it should be a pretty fun story that gets that gets to come out in the in like the next couple weeks. I, I have some more reporting to do on it. Um, I have some more work to do on it. Uh, but I think that one will be pretty fun. I think people will enjoy that one as well. So um, those are those are the ones that I, I really love when I, I can essentially tell NBA players like I'm unathletic, I'm a dummy, I can't process these things. 
please explain to me how you can do these insane things that you do, because that to me will be endlessly interesting. All right. Well, that's something to look forward to. And as I said a few times, go to The Athletic, subscribe, get yourself in on one of the cool deals they got going on. If not to read the story that Eric dropped last night about the use it or lose it, which is a fun one with some real stats, but the Drew Holiday tease is enough to hopefully get a bunch of our listeners in because that's going to be ridiculous stuff. We can already tell. Uh, thanks for making Locked On Bucks your first listen. And uh, thank you for making it your first listen every day. We should say uh, every day is Frank. This is a new thing we're doing. We have to thank our every day is. Some people drop into Lockdown Bucks every few days. We love them as well. But we're here for the every you like day. Me, so you love me. You love me who shows up every, every few days. I love you, but I really love the every days, which is what we're, uh, we're really trying to promote here. We want people coming back every single weekday. Uh, next episode, post-game, game one. Now, I'm on the road, so I'm speaking, speaking of every day, I won't be there for post-game, game one, but Justin will be there. Frank will be there. Hopefully, the Bucks have a one-zip lead, so make sure you subscribe and drop a comment on this show. Uh, it's, it's rare that we get Eric on, so we absolutely appreciate it. So do all that stuff. It's free to do. It helps us. Eric, you're a star, and we appreciate your time. What people don't know is you spent the afternoon out in the sun in Milwaukee having a few brewskis. So that's why you, I don't know. I thought you were going to drop a few bombshells tonight, but you held it together. Well done. <laughs> you know, I'm i I'm a lifelong Wisconsinite. I know how to have a couple beers and, you know, still be a professional. Frank, this is the longest podcast we've done in a hell of a long time. So all I'm going to say to you, I know I'm not around on uh on the post game and if the bucks win you might be a little excitable and i don't know if justin's really going to cut the cord but uh, on your best behavior please try to keep it try to keep it classy for you and and as you know brevity has never been a strong suit but <laughs> so it goes. all right we'll catch you all after game one